No, that's Bjerg's man cave. Just pictures of horses. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 20 of Royal Assassin, Mishaps. The beginning part of this chapter is catching us up on the general populace's thoughts of the war and basically the nationalism and racism that has arisen from the war and the raiding and how all of the six duchies really don't like the out-islanders right now. Right. Also, just quick question. Um, isn't Hap the name of his... Miss Hap. Yep. yep, that's the name of his son. And mm-hmm. he's born during this time, right? Yes, uh, I believe so. I think... Oh, was he... I can't remember if he was there at Forge or if Starling just picked him up as like a victim of the the raids at some point. I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that he mishap himself is born all around this time so Mm -hmm. just something i thought about when (laughs) i saw the title we do get some history again here again it says that king wisdom during his time uh, that was the only other time that they know of when the raids escalated to sort of war other than that it's isolated incidents of pirates coming to raid them but more often than not the out islanders would come with trade delegations and actually trade mm-hmm. with the six duchies and when the first attacks for this red ship war came those trades pretty much stopped mm-hmm. and Pretty much everybody in the six duchies can kind of boast that they have some sort of cousin living over in the out islands, but again, talk of those family connections kind of stopped because of the hatred that has arisen, the fear of the people, and because of that, no one really knew what was happening in the out islands while the six duchies was getting raided. Right. It feels very much like thinking of other big historic events where places are separated and family members can't talk Mm -hmm. um kind of like with the berlin wall or um north and south korea where family members could no longer know what's going on and you can't really talk about your family because they're on opposing sides of the war and you don't want to be seen as a sympathizer but still you have family you care about and I, I'm sure that would be really hard for anyone. Yeah, definitely. Especially people, if you're close or like one of your cousins was a tr- like a trader that came into town regularly and now you just have to hope they're okay. I don't know. I feel really sad for the families. <laughs> mm-hmm, definitely. And I knew we figured out where Chade went eventually and we figure out here that he went to the Out Islands. Mm-hmm. And you know, went out there to find what was happening in the Out Islands, maybe get a little bit more knowledge on why they were raiding us at war with the six duchies. And we have excerpts from his journal speaking on Kebel Rawbread and how that he slowly gained power in the Out Islands by overcoming a few raiding ships and then 
quote unquote recruiting other people, very mm-hmm. talented captains or, you know, uh, craftsmen and everything like that to eventually come under his rule pretty much by threat and force. Right. He's talked about as a malevolent force rather than an actual man, mm-hmm. usually. And he's he recruits all these people under the threat of a scrawling or what they come to know as forging in the six duchies. Right. And the horrible part about this that is unknown to the duchies people who are currently hating all the out Islanders is that he is forging their families, whether they die, like the person he is hunting dies by suicide or refuses if he runs away no matter what happens to the person that he is trying to recruit quote unquote uh, he will regardless forge the family which instills fear in everyone else that comes next because they know the only way to protect their family is by agreeing to the threat Mm mm-hmm and it also talks a little bit about the customs in the Out Islands. Uh, and it kind of made me think of the Mountain Kingdom because it seems so barbaric in a way. It says that when some of the family members are forged, the heads of house, the male heads of house would have to mostly kill those family members by hand because they have a very strict honor system and a strict way of taking care of peace within the family. So I don't, it just made me think of how the mountain kingdom have the rumor of, uh, letting their old go out to the cold to die. But again, we see that same behavior being echoed in the six duchies when their family members are forged and they're like, well, it's better for them to die than to be remain forged. And they all Mm -hmm. kind of agree about that. So it's, yeah. Yeah. A terror, you know, encompassing both of the nations. Right. And it does put a more sympathetic lens towards the others, which I don't think we get to see very often. And it really humanizes the enemy. Yeah, right. And we know that not every single person in the Raiders group, I should say, is evil or not as nice and there by force. There are some people who are there because they like it. But there are many more that are there because their family is in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's really nice to see a book where we're reading about a war where both sides are kind of humanized. It's just a really interesting way to take this. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it. I would say at the beginning of this section, the excerpt from Chade's journal says, Kebble Rob Red was not even a name known in the six duchies. It was a name not breathed in the Out Islands. And at the end of this, it says even to speak against him invited escrawl or forging. So sparse was the knowledge that Chade gained, and it was gained with great difficulty. And he gathered some other rumors as well mm-hmm. that he lists down, but decided like not to fully pursue because they were, as he says, sparse as black lambs in a white flock. He lists them here. A white ship is spoken of, a ship that comes to separate souls, not to take them or destroy them, to separate them. They whisper, too, of a pale woman whom even Kebel Robred fears and reveres. 
Many related to the, the torments of their land to the unprecedented advances of the ice whales or glaciers. Always present in the upper reaches of their narrow valleys, they now advanced more swiftly than in the memory of any living man. They were rapidly covering what little arable soil the out-islands possessed, and in a way no one could or would explain to me, bringing a, quote, change of water. And so this is obviously the white ship that Fitz has seen, and it's the pale mm -hmm. woman who is the counterpoint to uh, the fool. Yes. And she is the prophet that is driving the catalyst, Kabul to make her changes as she sees fit in the world. Her separating souls on this ship is, I believe, just her following all the raids and forging all the people. It's, it's yes. separating their souls because they they don't kill people they just take part of them mm -hmm. the humanity of them and then let them go right yeah well because they have a forging stone on their sh on their ship mm -hmm. so but i found it really interesting a couple of these pretty interesting the first of which that it said kebel robbred fears the pale woman yeah and i was wondering if you ha had any reasoning behind that if you had any thoughts of why he seems to fear her. I mean, he seems, I mean, at the end of the, the tawny man, we right. can see him chained up and partially forged himself. So it, it feels like all of his power came from her originally. And she probably just kept control through mm. manipulation. He, right. he gained power through, you know, overcoming certain things and, and doing yeah. certain actions. And I'm sure she told him what to do or is directing him in that way and made sure that, knowledge and that balance of power was maintained through the whole thing right interesting i was thinking about it more from like a cultural aspect because we know the outlanders are a matriarchal society yeah could be that too um and so i wondered if it started as a reverence just for women in general and mm. although i don't know how that translates to on the sea because she is directing him how to raid which I don't know. I know there's a clear separation of women tend the land, men go out to the sea. Right. So maybe that's why she had to forge him, just because there's a little bit of power struggle there. But I just found it really interesting that he does seem to fear her. Right. Um, I wondered if that maybe stemmed because in their culture, women are powerful and strong and very important. Could be, yeah. I do want to talk about a little bit of the uh, change of waters and yes. the advancing ice age. That's what I was just about to bring up. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts of why that is? I, I kind of have a little bit of a theory, but it's not backed by much evidence. Hmm. Well, I was thinking of it as something to do with uh, the pale woman living in the ruins of elderlings. Only because my thought comes from in the rain wilds, there is a changing of water regularly that stems from tectonic plates shifting ultimately, but it comes from the area of the Kelsingra. It seems to something about the land brings a toxicity into the water. And I don't know if that's just happenstance for Kelsingra, but if there's a changing water here too it may, makes me wonder if maybe it's something to do with the way the cities are built or the black stone itself maybe 
is bad for the water. I'm not really sure. Um, but that was mostly my thought is that it has something to do with the dragon and the elderling artifacts in general. Yeah, my that brought another thought into my head too, and I'll I'll talk about that after this. But my thought was that with the removal of the last dragons on the planet, they changed the ecosystem enough where certain things aren't happening and it could affect the climate. Right. Again, I don't have much evidence to back that up, but it does take the climate a while to shift. And when things, you know, are shifted in a gradual sense like that, or there's a, a major extinction like that, things are bound to happen on a, on a planetary scale. True. Yeah. That's a good point. However, the, the other thing that you kind of reminded me of was, I believe, now I, I could be wrong here, but I believe the pale woman damaged all of the elderling things in the city on Eslevjal. And that damaged the heating element. Or no, Prilkop Pearl, disabled the heating element for the elderling city on purpose mm-hmm. to try to drive her out. And I'm wondering if there was something keeping back some of the ice. Oh, right. Like a like a protection put in place yeah that honestly could be actually that there was along with the power that he shut off for heating it also it also just like that that heating throughout that whole island kind of held something back right you know again it's a small island and they're talking about like all of their islands getting advanced upon by glaciers but still ripple effects yeah you never know i don't know I just wonder also if change in water doesn't mean literally the water is changing. If that's like children are being born with defects, mm. like in the rain wilds. Yeah, could be. It's hard to say because we don't really hear about any defects later. Right. But I'm not sure. Well, I guess I don't know if they also are known to kill off children with defects. It seems like they might, know. if they're anything like the mountain kingdom people. Although I don't know that the six duchies people are any better. (laughs) They're a little, they're a little bit. I mean, while they don't make Buckkeep a nice place to live for thick, he is not killed. That's true. They don't exactly have ADA accessible ramps everywhere. (laughs) Right. So we come back into this chapter and this story where, Fitz and Ketrickin had just talked about seeing the king and how things were kind of bad and Regal was coming right away to the to those meetings. So Fitz had determined to go see the king himself. Mm-hmm. And he is on his way there at the moment. And he gets let in. And King Shrewd is just kind of in a happy daze at this point. Right. He's sitting up at his fire, which we haven't seen in a really long time. I think all of this book, every time Fitz goes to see the king, he is in bed. So it is a change. Yeah, a couple times he's like sat up and done a couple things and got to a table. but usually is in bed when Fitz comes, at least to start. So I found it really interesting that Fitz comes and he's actually in a chair sitting up. 
And of course, they have a little little small talk, and that's pretty much all that the king is capable of at the moment. And the king says, oh, come in. You had a troubling day. How about you make some tea, fool, for both of us and for Fitz, too? And, and the fool is, of course, you know, quick to obey that command, but also warns Fitz while saying it. He says, drink as deeply as our king does, and you shall share his serenity. And so Fitz just kind of touches the tip of his tongue to it and can taste some of the uh, the herbs and the, the drugs that are put in there and asks, like, oh, isn't this addictive? And should you be having this kind of thing hinting at? And King Shrewd is just like, oh, Wallace assures me that not in this quantity. You know, I, I, it's perfectly fine. And the fool kind of, <laughs> again, obliquely hints that, you know, soon you'll have company, so drink up because... You're going to want to drink that before this company arrives. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, waves his hand at the door the moment Regal pops in, Mm -hmm. which my first thought was maybe he had a vision. And then I remembered Regal's probably been doing this for every person that he doesn't like. (laughs) So it's probably a well-oiled machine where uh, where the fool immediately is like, well, it's been... 15, 14, 13, and here he arrives. (laughs) Exactly. And so again, they they go through this little conversation here of, oh, you had a troubling day with Regal here in the room. And Fitz remarks on the incident that they had in the previous chapter of how the horses must have been mistakenly sold to uh, Duke Ram and... There was no signature on it or anything like that. And King Shrewd assures him, oh, no, that was my mistake. Like, I signed the papers. They'll be gone by tomorrow. It was a great deal for him and for us. We need the coin. And just kind of very, very blithe and and not really upset or worried about anything that's going on. And Fitz is, of course, still concerned about this because it hints at deeper deeper things gone wrong. Right. And he directs some comments towards Regal and asks, I had never thought to see us sell our best stock away from Buckkeep. Regal replies, and neither did I, but with the treasury as depleted as it is, we have had to take hard measures. He regarded me coolly for a moment. Sheep and cattle are to be sold as well. We have not the grain to winter them over anyway. Better to sell them now than to see them starve this winter. And Fitz, of course, says, like, why, why haven't we heard of failed harvests? Nothing has happened. And Regal comes back with kind of a truth bomb a little bit. Right. <laughs> Just saying, like, because you haven't been listening. <laughs> Which right. is kind of true, because in the, the last chapter, we saw him not paying attention to anything for the past 20 some days. Right. But on top of that, he hasn't really been paying attention all summer. Right. It, it, to be fair, he's most of that's busy. because, yeah, he's yeah. been on a ship trying to protect the six duchies and fighting. So partially it's not fully his fault. But when he was at the castle, he wasn't really listening for any sort of rumors or gossip that had anything mm-hmm. to do with the welfare of the people. Right. He was more worried about what people were saying about Ketrickin and Verity or Regal. Yeah. But in a different way. So we don't know how true this is. And that's an interesting thing to think about because Fitz is our narrator and he's not super reliable. Maybe Regal's lying, 
But we have no way of knowing because yeah. Fitz hasn't has truly not been paying attention. And this issue probably wouldn't have crossed his mind until now. And he, technically, he could be telling the truth that they're out of money and he's throwing those lavish parties to keep up an appearance. Right. Uh, who knows? It's really and it's frustrating because I immediately want to think because it's regal, he's obviously lying, but he doesn't have to lie about everything to do what he wants to do. Right. And I think that's a more frustrating part about these books is occasionally we get to portions where maybe Regal isn't as bad as we think he is. He just is doing some bad things that are horrible, but on the whole, he's not the worst. Even if he's not lying there, throwing the parties to keep up an appearance, I'm assuming to keep up an appearance to make the inner duchies think he is a, a good leader. Right. And it will bring them wealth to be the leader of the, just those two inner duchies is right. not a not, still a, good not a good choice. thing. <laughs> but I think that doesn't necessarily make him the worst person in the world. Right. Yeah, I just right. want to think that because we look through Fitz's eyes so often. <laughs> yeah. He also says that tomorrow I will have to tell the men working on the new ships that they must either labor for the love of it or leave off their work. There is no longer coin to pay them, nor to buy the materials that would be needed to finish the ships. He finished his speech and leaned back, considering me. Within me, Verity roiled. I looked to King Shrewd. This is true, my king? King Shrewd started. He looked over at me and blinked his eyes a few times. I did sign those papers, did I not? He seemed puzzled, and I think his mind had gone back to a previous conversation. He had not followed our talk at all. Again, Fitz is kind of seeing the dynamic here of, well, Shrewd is just doing things that are put in front of him. Mm-hmm. There, There's nothing in his brain. Like, he's just signing papers. Right. Regal said it is so, and, so yeah. it must be. But again, like with the with the addition of laying off the shipbuilders, Regal could be lying about the money for the funds, but also Right. You wouldn't I I think in this he's partially lying only. Not fully lying, though there's there's no funds for any of right. this. I think he's will cut everything I can to dismantle Verity's legacy. Right. But also we might be running low, so I'll just do it in that same vein. Right. Right. I don't think that he's necessarily lying about the state of the money. I think he has more of a hand to play at why there's no money. Right. But I don't think he's lying that they're low on funds. And I think that a really good excuse of not continuing your a way to protect the outer duchies and something that your brother cared about is to say, well, that costs money and we don't need it right now. So, mm-hmm. right. I don't know. And so the conversation switches to Burns and the raid. This is what Fitz came here to talk about. And it's pretty much picked up by Regal and King Shrewd is kind of silent through this whole conversation. And Regal states that the situation in, uh, that nothing can be done about the situation in Burns it is time Burns took care of Burns' troubles. We cannot beggar all six duchies to protect a barren stretch of coastline. And basically saying, like, they're not really part of the six duchies anymore. They can take care of themselves. Right. And so what if the raiders took, uh, took claim to a few dozen rocks? Right. Who cares? Which, 
I'm not sure if he's trying to downplay the situation because he's working with them or if he's truly that big of an idiot when it comes to how strategy works. He probably wasn't really trained in war strategies, so there's a good chance he just truly doesn't realize how dumb Maybe a little bit of this both. is. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I don't know. It's frustrating because, again... We don't, I don't have enough information to make a clear judgment, <laughs> and so it makes me frustrated because I want to full-heartedly say Regal's terrible, but part of me is like, well, we don't know the whole picture. So <laughs> maybe he's just incompetent. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is partially that. How would we ever know? <laughs> so Fitz waits in vain for Shrewd to come to Burns' defense and basically says... You know, when did Burns cease to be part of the Six Duchies? Also, the town that was raided was not a a little village. It was, or a frozen rock. It was a city before they raided. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just have Serene come here and skill to Verity and, and we'll talk about this. And Regal's had enough at this point. And he goes into Fitz a little bit here saying, you know, stay out of the politics you're a dog boy are you verity's pet he doesn't need to be in every decision that the king makes do you think the king isn't able to make these decisions on his own all these sort of accusations why cannot you understand that the king can make decisions without the permission of the king in waiting really that line specifically made me think well what the heck are you doing then regal why can't the king make decisions without you because every decision the king's makes king has been making has been dictated by regal himself so it's a little rich to turn around and say well why does the king in waiting need to be messaged at all he has no power here okay regal you have no power here (laughs) i don't know it's frustrating to read but he does remind fitz of his place that technically Fitz isn't really somebody who should be questioning the king. Right. And it is a little bold of Fitz to question the king. We all know, everyone in this room besides maybe Shrewd, knows that this is Regal's doing. Mm -hmm. That Regal is planning all this. This has nothing to do with the king. But still, the politics theater that Regal is playing. I don't know. I just find it interesting that up until this point, he's been answering Fitz. And telling him things that are going on. It seems like an odd choice, I guess. Maybe he was wondering how loyal Fitz would be to Verity in this. He was like testing the waters of, okay, well, let's see how you react. (laughs) And then whenever Verity was brought up, he's like, fine, you're lost cause. (laughs) I can see that because in Regal's eyes, he killed Lady Time. Right. And that leaves Fitz masterless because she was the mentor Mm -hmm. as an assassin. So he's... Maybe been doing odd jobs for the king, but he hasn't heard of anything, probably. So right. Fitz is just off on his own, and then Verity kind of scoops him under his wing and is sent off on a ship. Mm-hmm. That's all that Regal really knows of what he does, probably. Right. So, and it does have a lot of emphasis on Regal sizing up Fitz and, and saying, w- looking like, at him yeah. and responding and then pausing to listen to Fitz's reaction. So I do wonder if this is a little bit of... Him like, maybe I could use him for my own, which is interesting because he hates Fitz so much anyway, but maybe he thought there was a way he could get rid of him while using him for his mm-hmm. own needs. I don't know. As long as it secures his own his own rule. Right. So this gets into a larger fight between Regal and Fitz. 
Regal is just going on about how Verity isn't here. He went gallivanting off after a fairy tale, to which Fitz interrupts and says, I was there when you encouraged and backed him going. And which makes Regal, instead of backtracking and saying, no, I didn't, he just says, well, I don't even know why you were there to begin with. For this purpose, Regal. <laughs> so you can't pretend like you were super against it. I don't he's know. really smooth. I mean, he just yeah. pivots around the conversation and then he's continues a, on like... He's a great politician. I'll have, give him that. Yeah, why were you even there in that meeting? You have large opinions of yourself. You're sitting at the high table and and being clothed by the king's largesse and all of this stuff. He, he easily pivots around that point just to transition into another attack against Fitz's character. Just get to the next straw man Mm -hmm. and hope he doesn't have matches for that one, too. Right. And he makes a point that you believe that you should get all the privileges with none of the duties, which is an interesting thing to say. Because it kind of does show that he doesn't know what Fitz does. Yeah. Because Fitz does have a lot of duties that he has to do for the king. And he doesn't want to do that. No, he does not want to do them, but he still does. He still has yeah. to kill forged ones. He has to mm-hmm. fight in a war at 16, 17, you know, like he's doing things. But to Regal's eyes, what has he been doing? Playing pretend with the king to be. Mm-hmm. And then calls him a bunch of names and mm-hmm. says that he is, uh, he calls himself Fitzgerald Farseer, but you don't need to do more than scratch the surface to see nameless the dog boy underneath be grateful i do not send you back to the stables but suffer to let you abide in the keep i do not know what i felt night eyes was snarling to the venom in regal's words while verity was capable of fratricide at that moment i glanced at king shrewd he cupped his mug of sweet tea in both hands and dreamed into the fire from the corner of my eyes i had a glimpse of the fool There was fear in his colorless eyes, fear as I had never seen there before, and he was looking not at Regal, but at me. I abruptly abruptly realized that I had arisen and was standing over Regal. He was looking up at me, waiting. There was a glint of fear in his eyes, but also the shine of triumph. All I would have to do was strike at him, and he would call the guards. It would be treason. He would hang me for it. I felt how the fabric of my shirt was binding on my shoulders and chest. So swollen with rage was I. I tried to exhale, willed the bald fists of my hands to loosen. It took a moment. Hush, I told them. Hush, or you'll get me killed. And he calms himself, Mm -hmm. bids goodnight to King Shrewd. And again, King Shrewd asks, Eh? So you had an anxious day lad i did my lord king i said softly his deep eyes looked up into mine as i stood before him waiting to be released i looked deep into their depths he was not there not as he once had been he looked at me puzzledly blinked a few times well perhaps you had best get some rest then as should i fool fool is my bed prepared warm it with the warming pan I grow so cold at night these days. Ha! 
At night these days, there's a bit of nonsense for you, fool. How would you say it to get it aright? The fool sprang to his feet, bowed deeply before the king. I would say there's a chill of death about the days of these nights as well, your majesty. A cold fare to curl the bones it is. A man could take his death of it. "'Twould warm me more to hide in your shade than to stand before your son's heat." So he slips out and reflects on the fool's words of uh, taking his advice and hide himself in shade rather than stand before the heat of the king's son. Right. Yeah, that was really close. That was a close one. Yeah. Um, I do think if Fitz had not gotten assassin training, he probably would have decked Regal right there. Yeah, Fitz does have a lot of self-control, but mm-hmm. he does have a big temper as well. He does. Well, to be fair, something that wasn't mentioned in Regal's taunts, he did bring up his father being a nobody and his mother being a whore. Mm -hmm. So not only was it about Fitz being nameless, the dog boy that Fitz was angry about, it also was talking ill of his parents who he supposedly doesn't care about, but we all know that's not quite true. You are the misbegotten bastard of a princeling who had not even the courage to continue as king in waiting. You are the grandson of a dead queen whose common breeding showed in the common woman her eldest son betted to conceive you. Yeah. Not nice. <laughs> no. But very very nice insult. But super not super nice. well worded. Yeah. Like I wish <laughs> when I was upset with people I could word things so beautifully hurtful that way. No, I don't because I don't like being hurtful. But do you, you know think just, you re- do you think you rehearsed that? Oh, <laughs> he's been waiting to say this. He's been just he has it on a piece of paper somewhere and he looks at it every day like maybe today. He exited that room and was just like, yes, I nailed it. <laughs> but also he probably did workshop it because he's a sneaky little snake and he likes to work people up and yeah, use I mean, them to his advantage. That was his whole point was right? to try to get Fitz put to death because... Yeah. Get under his skin enough. <laughs> yeah. to get him, which honestly... Again, this is a lot of regal praise right now, but pretty brave because Fitz is double his size (laughs) and would for sure get at least one good hit in before (laughs) before being escorted out by guards. And he would have to wait for the guards to get there. And once Fitz started, who knows if he'd be able to stop if he knew he was going to die either way. So I'm just saying pretty brave of regal to be like, you know what? I'll take take a couple good hits. If I can get Fitz killed, it's, I don't know. It's a certain type of bravery, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of the first big conversation. There's like four big ones in this chapter. Right. And so he goes back to his room and he, he's thinking about what he should do next. And normally that he would go to Molly, but lately he hasn't been really finding comfort in that in that space with her there well because all they do is have sex yeah (laughs) which we'll talk about in depth at the end of the podcast because there was a comment a very good comment made by one of our listeners but it is a valid point that he brings up here that he used to find comfort with molly but i had no heart for uh for it tonight 
Yeah. And Which means he wasn't going there to be comforted with talk. And there also, isn't... he dreads the stealth and anxiety of our meetings in a guardedness that did not even end when her door closed behind me. Just yeah. like, he's tired of the whole thing, kind of. Right. And it's sad, because I think it started as love, as like a puppy love, as like a real love that teenagers have, you know. But it's gotten to a point where it's just toxic for both of them. Mm-hmm. And instead of letting it go, he's just keeping it on so that the times when he is in the mood, he can hit her up and say, you up, babe, at 2 a.m. And it's really, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think he's doing it for that specific reason. No, not knowingly, but that's ultimately that's what, what he is doing. turning into, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but I they don't have think a good conversation at the end of this chapter, too. They do, so. but they haven't in a long time. And it just yeah. makes me sad for their relationship because I am a big fan of the two of them together. I do still see flaws in the relationship, clearly, but it just makes me sad to see Fitz not realizing that the reason he can't find comfort in her is because he doesn't give her any trust. There's no trust. He doesn't let her in. He doesn't give her an opportunity to help or give advice, which, to be fair, I don't know that she could be much help. She's not really part of this world. She doesn't know. He also feels like he can't give up some of those secrets, because he right. mentions in here, too, that it kind of started when he's been linked with Verity, which was at the start of his trip right. when he was leaving. And that's ever since then, he's become more anxious, because he has to keep that link with Verity from Molly and keep Verity from seeing him with Molly and it's the mm-hmm. whole sneaking around in secrets from both sides. and Right. And it would be a lot. I, I totally understand why he's so tired and why mm-hmm. he doesn't want to go to her. It's just as sad that it's turned into this thing where she's not really a person anymore, almost. She's just somebody that he goes to have a fling. And I, don't, I just don't love that. Yeah. So he waits in his room and waits for Chade to open up the door because he knows that's going to happen right? because of the fool's warning. Right. And he also knows, or he also has the Elder Link scrolls in front of him, which he gives up because Verity will find out whatever he finds out. And I almost wonder if it would have been better for him to continue reading because we know eventually he follows after Verity. And if anywhere in the reading it would have told him how to wake the Elder Links, probably not. But he doesn't really help himself by not yeah. learning more. I would assume not because even the fool doesn't really know right. how to do any of that. And I'm sure he read through pretty much all of them. That's fair. And so as Fitz is climbing the tower to Chade's room, he's getting angrier and angrier at this, at this whole situation. And they have a kind of confrontation where again, Chade is very understanding. He's listening to Fitz's side he is trying to, you know, calm him down and talk to him about these these fears, these angers, and what's happening. And it just gets really involved in the stuff. And I don't know, it's a really good look into their present relationship. Right. And how Fitz has felt it's going and where Chade sees it. Right. It is a good look. But also, I do want to point out a little background detail that... When Fitz arrives, Chade is making some sort of concoction, which is the first time it's been mentioned that Chade is working on something in front of Fitz for all summer, basically, since he got back from his trip. We know 
a couple chapters ago, Fitz made a specific mention that it seemed like he was making concoctions and then cleaning, but up. cleaning it up yeah. and not letting Fitz know what it was. So I thought it was a really interesting choice to this time with everything we know that's going on for him to be making a concoction in front of Fitz. Mm-hmm. Um, and later there's a comment made by him that I thought made this necessary to point out now, but we'll get to it. And so Fitz reflecting upon seeing Chade there veers his questioning towards the existential assassin side of things first. Right. He, he starts with, have you ever killed a man for your own sake? And Chade is kind of surprised and, and keeps asking questions like, what do you mean, like, my own sake, to protect my own life? And Fitz is like, no, just for yourself. It could be for your, to protect your own life, you know, but to make your life easier. And Fitz, uh, excuse me, and Chade <laughs> is kind of incredulous and he's just like, of course not, that'd be murder. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> very funny. It is pretty funny. He gets a clarification from Fitz, and, and Chade agrees with this, unless you do it for your king. It's not murder if you do it for your king. And he's asking Chade, you know, what's the difference? And Chade is remarking, you know, I asked these questions myself, but I was alone at that time, so I'll try to help you through some of these questions. But ultimately, it's, it's where you decide. It's, it, it comes down to faith in your king. Do you believe in your king? And your king has to be more to you than your half-brother or your grandfather. He has to be more than good old King Shrewd or fine, honest Verity. He has to be the king, the heart of the kingdom, the center of the wheel. If he is that, and if you have faith that the six duchies are worth preserving, that the good of all our people are furthered by dispensing the king's justice, then, well, then you can kill for him. Exactly. And Fitz then asks, have you killed against your own judgment and shades like yeah i have but he's the king I, I trust people to make better decisions to also have the good of the kingdom at heart and so i carry out the will of my king mm-hmm. he also points out that fitz is having a lot of questions tonight right to which fitz responds that well you gave me too much time to think so it's your fault and i found it interesting that shades reply was thinking is not always comforting it is always good, but not always comforting. And then answers. And mm-hmm. I just thought that's a very interesting sentiment to have that you should always be thinking, but it's not always the best. <laughs> right. It doesn't always have the best outcome for you. And their their relationship or their profession, I guess, really lends an interesting spin on this whole conversation because you could apply this to serving your king in other ways. Right. But at the same time, they really have to trust in the king that, that faith that Chade is talking about really has to be believed in and has to drive everything because otherwise he has nothing and he's just murdered a bunch of people and that's it. Right. Well, yeah, because it's already been done. This isn't like, we're about to kill people for the king. Is this really morally right? This is... My whole life. I've done this my whole life. So I have to hold on to the thought that it's okay. And then Fitz asks one final question. Have you ever killed solely on the basis of your own judgment 
for the good of the kingdom. For a time, Chade looked at me troubled. I did not look away. He did, finally, staring down at his old hands, rubbing their papery white skin against each other as he fingered the brilliant red pox. I do not make those judgments. He looked up at me suddenly. I never accepted that burden, nor wished to. It is not our place, boy. Those decisions are for the king. Do you think he's lying? Mm. It's hard to tell because I think it... It's basically asking, do you think he killed Queen Desire? And if if he did, was it with the king's <laughs> Ooh, yeah. blessing or was it him acting in the good of the kingdom? Or did she just die on her own? Right. Because that's that's the the big killing that comes to mind for me, quote unquote. Interesting, yeah. The big murder, I guess. I really don't know. Mm. Do you think he's lying? I do. I don't think, and maybe, it, I suppose I didn't, I couldn't think of anyone who it could be. And I wondered if it was re- in relation to the the experiment that caused his scars. I was thinking that maybe what he was working on was meant for someone. And then it blew up quite literally in his face. And then he felt guilty and thought maybe this is some sort of punishment. And so he's reminded Mm. every day, I don't make those calls. Or maybe because of the scars, he had to give up. I mean, he didn't become an assassin until after, right? No, he was before. Okay. He had been trained since he was, I think, a little bit later than Fitz, so like 10 or something like that, mm. and didn't have that accident until he was right. his, like young 20s. Okay. But yeah, I wonder if that's like a reminder of a mistake he made, and that's what reminds him, I'm not king, I don't make those decisions. Yeah, it could be. But also, maybe it was, he is thinking, it just seems like such a guilty thing to rub your hand because so this is a lot more psychology than deserves to go into this i think let's be armchair psychologists yes fictional characters (laughs) but i do know that typically when people lie they do or when they're anxious they do a thing called comforting and it's when you touch yourself and like rub your arms or your hands um and it's supposed to be something you do subconsciously to calm yourself down it's kind of like a reassuring it's hardwired in our brain that touch centers us back in reality and it's like a mother's love or something i think i read somewhere but potentially him rubbing his arms while saying i don't make those choices which also isn't a no (laughs) i think it's a lie and i don't think the decision he made turned out well, and I think that's why he's so hard, gung-ho on Fitz don't ever kill for your own will. It could... You saying that also being part of anxiety could be him anxious for what Fitz might do or is thinking of doing. That's fair. He's trying to think of the best way to phrase his answer. <laughs> be like, we don't do this because mm-hmm. we don't have all the pieces. Right. What are you doing, Fitz? What are you thinking of? <laughs> fair enough. Fair it, enough. It's, it's a lot of different ways. 
um, to interpret it. And right. I, I'm not really sure which way I lean, honestly. But also, Chade is a master manipulator. True. He could just be trying to look meek. He could be lying in his stance. Like, there's no way to tell if this is genuine Chade mm-hmm. or if this is an act he's putting on because he's so good at it. Right. And I would like to believe he's not putting on an act for Fitz, but also Fitz is pretty angry and maybe he knows this is what will be best to get Fitz to not do anything rash. I don't know. Just more thoughts. <laughs> the conversation then turns towards the the king's poisoning, as Fitz calls it. Jade is saying, you know, there's an emphasis on Fitz in your name. You are illegitimate. Your father abdicated. You're not king. You're not even heir to maybe a potential king. You are, and I am, an assassin. That That's what we are. That's all we have to do. We just do what our king tells us. And so Fitz asks, why do we stand by while the true king is poisoned then? I see it. You see it. He is lured into using herbs that steal his mind. And while he cannot think well, lured to use ones that make him even more foolish. We know its immediate source, and I suspect its true source. And yet we watch him dwindle and grow feeble. Why? Where is the faith in that? His words cut me like knives. I do not know where your faith is. I had thought perhaps it would be in me, that I knew more about it than you did, and that I was loyal to my king. Ooh, burn. (laughs) (laughs) They take a little break here, and, and Fitz goes throughout his familiar routine to just set up by the fire, and Jade eventually joins him. Right. This is a very good point from Jade. Fitz doesn't really have any confidence in anyone else doing anything. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't see it with his own eyes, it might as well not be happening. He just assumes the worst of every situation. To be fair, it is really easy to do, and he is a teenager. But he also knows that there is Jade in the walls doing things in the background, and he didn't once think maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. He was trained to look for more, and yet it seems every opportunity he forgets that training and sees only the play that is being put on in front of Mm -hmm. him. Which is frustrating, but also I guess Fitz it might be because Fitz is so reliant on his wit that he only goes by what the feelings are. He's not really using yeah. his eyes. <laughs> or critical thinking. Right. This year has not been easy time for either of us. And Fitz says, you have so seldom called me. And when you do, you are full of secrets. I tried to keep the accusation from my voice, but couldn't quite. Chade gave a short bark of laughter. <laughs> and you being such an open, spontaneous fellow, that annoys you? He laughed again, ignoring my offended look. <laughs> Amusement still danced in his dark eyes. Do not glower at me, boy, he told me. I have not expected anything from you that you have not demanded from me twofold, and more. For I have it in my mind that a master has some right to expect faith and trust from his student. You do, I said after some moments, and you are right. I have my secrets as well and I have expected you to trust that they are honorable ones. But my secrets do not constrain you as yours do mine. Every time I visit the king's chambers, I see what 
Wallace's smokes and potions are doing to him. I want to kill Wallace and restore my king to his wits, and after that I want to finish the task. I want to eliminate the source of the poisons. You wish to kill me, then? It was like being doused with cold water. You are the source of the poisons Wallace gives to the king? I was sure I had misunderstood. He nodded slowly. Some of them. Probably the ones you most object to. This continues on for a little conversation here, but I do want to talk about that because I was remembering correctly, but Jade was feeding most of these to the king himself, and the yeah. king is more capable than he seems. Right. Blind speculation, because I don't remember. Why is Shade doing this? And why is Shrewd agreed to this? I'm sure they had conversations about it. This is also going based off my very limited memory. But I think Shrewd is a little addicted to some drugs. We know that yeah. is true. And I wonder if he wanted Chade's help to make sure he didn't lose himself completely. Yeah. He's seen what drug use does mm-hmm. and how it can make you. And so I'm sure they know, he knows where it's coming from and what's happening. And he wants to play along so that Fitz can be safe, but also he knows what's going on and can make a better decision once more. He seems to be one of those people who waits way too long to make a move. He's very Aaron Burr. Um, the king is. And I think it's a little bit of I need to satiate my addiction without getting too high. That's what I think too. Like he needs yeah. some lucid moments and he can't do that if he's just using smoke the whole time because yeah. you just pass out. So he needs a little bit of high, but also he's old and in pain. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure definitely it's not even from a standpoint of, I just want to forget all the worries of the world. It's more of I'm hurting so badly. I just want something to take that away. I also think it's kind of related to the next uh, paragraph here uh, where Fitz asks, but Shade, why? And he says, a king's secrets belong to a king only. They're not mine to give away, no matter if I think the receiver would keep them safe or not. And basically says, Fitz, if you, if you use your mind as I have taught you, you can right. figure out what these things are. And I think that first line, a king's secrets belong to a king only, is not only relating to why Chade is giving them to him, but the reasoning that Shrewd wants them. And that's because he doesn't want to give away everything that he knows to Regal right. or to anybody else, and he feels like he was too malleable under just the influence of smoke. Right. Because he wasn't in his own mind at all, and with this, he's at least seems like a dullard on the outside and Uh so regal might not be plying him for more information right yeah no it's definitely hard to accept for fits but also sad to read Mm -hmm. that he has to act this way so that his own son can't get more information or power Although, I mean, what good is it if you're just going to sign away all the good livestock and still let him do whatever it is he's going to do to ruin the kingdom? And maybe he thinks 
there's some truth to what Regal says, so at least let's bolster the money Mm -hmm. and just hope that Verity gets back quick. I don't know. It's hard to tell what Shrewd is thinking ever. Right. But I also think it's very short-sighted of Fitz to want to kill Wallace because while he decides how to kill Regal, which he will not be able to do, somebody else will just pop up and maybe they're not as easy to control from behind right. the scenes as Wallace. Yeah. Or they're more indebted to Regal. I it's, mean, that's why Chade put Wallace there to begin with. Exactly. Because he's easily controllable. Yes. So I don't I just think it's really it really is a lack of faith on Fitz's part of let's just kill the problem and that'll fix everything, which is naive. But I understand it in some ways because that is my gut reaction to like, just cut the head of the Hydra off. That's (laughs) why wouldn't that work? They kind of move on the conversation it circles back around a little bit, but Fitz asks, why are you, why'd you summon me here tonight? And Chade is kind of hurt now and is just saying, maybe I just wanted to see you. Perhaps I wanted to forestall you doing something foolish and permanent. I know everything that's going on right now distresses you greatly. And I assure you, I share your fears, but for now we must continue on our allotted paths with faith. Surely you believe that Verity will return before spring and put all to rights. And Fitz says, you know, I, I don't know. This is a foolish quest when he went off on it and I was surprised that that and I kind of want him to turn around now because when he comes back, Regal will have everything and will half the kingdom will be beggared or given away. And Chade then asks, like, maybe Faraday has faith in King Shrewd to keep it together. Right. <laughs> like kind of reminding him, like, there's a king here still. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is like, well, no, I don't think he he can do anything. You you haven't really seen him. And Shade's like, what do you mean I haven't seen him? Or you think I haven't? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, I, I tell you that he's not the feeble Ill- idiot that you seem to believe he is. If you had seen him tonight, Shade, you would share my anxiety. What makes you so sure I did not? Shade was nettled now. I had no wish to anger the old man, but it seemed to be going all wrong no matter how I spoke. I force myself to keep quiet now. Oh, Fitz. Maybe it's going all wrong because you're being very accusatory instead of asking questions. <laughs> Teenage also, boy. I know. Like, he just Think. states everything like there's no way he could possibly be wrong. And then is surprised when Chade is like, how many times do I have to tell you in how many different ways? You're not right. <laughs> He's trained better than this and he should know better. I know. It's so it's probably a little bit because of how stretched thin he is. He does have a lot that he's taking care of both internally and externally. I mean, he has two beings occupying mm-hmm. different corners of his brains 24-7. Right. Which is mentally taxing. Yeah. So I'm sure that doesn't help, but it is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So Fitz moves on the conversation finally and, and asks about the near islands and if the rumors were true. Chade is basically kind of confirms that, you know, not everything you hear is true, but there's always a little germ of truth in there. We have not seeded the Near Islands. It may be true that the Raiders have a base. We're not certain, really. And 
once they do have the near islands, they would be able to raid our coast winter and summer. Regal says that they can be bought off, Fitz says, and with an effort to make it, you know, respectful towards Regal, Prince Regal. <laughs> and uh, Chade neutrally replies, Many men hope that by saying a thing they can make it so, even when they know that they must know better, he added as a darker afterthought. And they move into the reason that the raiders are there. Again, I think they've had this conversation before, but it was more cursory. Right. And it was before Chade had left to go on his trip to the, the out islands. Right. And Fitz is just asking, what do you think they want? Right. And Chade has to point out that maybe they don't want anything. Mm-hmm. It's been two years and they haven't made a single demand. Don't you think if they wanted something, they would have asked and we would have already tried to make some sort of treaty with them because of how much damage they're doing. And Fitz has to think about it and ends up asking, well, if they don't want anything, how do you stop them? That's crazy. Only crazy people would do that. that and make no sense. <laughs> yeah. And Shrewd says... Chade. <laughs> they're brothers. Come on. Chade <laughs> says that... It might seem crazy to us, but to them it might be logical. Yeah. What if they do just want a place to raid? Yeah. A place of defenseless villages and things like that. Yeah. And we know that this is kind of the case, but it's more of a revenge thing than wanting to raid. A little revenge, but they are trying to make their own stone dragon by feeding all of the people to be forged i believe right that's the main goal i didn't think they knew that's what how the stone dragons were made they're doing that because it works in the end of their goal do they start shifting to that then okay i don't think so i don't think they ever try to make a dragon yeah they do that's why there's a stone dragon in tawny man it's pieces of the the elderling rock and all of that it's underneath the ice and as love and finally, that's what uh, uh, Kebel Robred is chained to. And finally, the pale woman pushes him into it. It animates and Beric shoots him. Or excuse me, uh, is it Swift? Beric's son who shoots him? And uh, Beric force repels him away. And that's how Beric dies. It's like the, the, the climax of that book. Do you not remember? No, literally not at all. <laughs> Zero memory. Because... Because the the real dragon and the stone dragon fight after. Huh. Weird. Zero memory. <laughs> Literally doesn't even ring a bell. The like Bjork dying part rings a bell. But like. <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying to make a an, a stone dragon. So then I think that happens during the Tawny Man trilogy. I don't think that's okay. something happening now. That's what I was kind of asking. Like, do you think it was a reply yeah. to the end of this? I think when they figured out what to do with the stone it, mm, that okay. was the response and it's definitely a cobbled together version which is why it doesn't work super well right because it's individual peoples a that bunch of them in different unwilling. stones and they put yes. the stones together it's yes. not one big hunk so yeah it's a uh, i i don't know what they want the stones for then right now i think it's just they know that it hurts people and it works it's effective the whole thing is as i recall Back in King Wisdom's day, when they were being attacked, 
wisdom made what they call an elderling and flew over with the group of stone dragons. And when you fly over people, it erases their memory. And because they barely flew over Buck, not very many people were affected very badly. And that's why people don't really remember it very well. Mm -hmm. But they spent more time in the out island areas where people were probably severely forged. There were probably a lot of forged people as a result, not intended, but it doesn't really matter what your intentions are. Right. And so they probably had to live for generations building back just. So it was was just finding out what made them forged and then getting revenge on them. Yeah. I think that was the original idea. I don't think they woman bringing that knowledge. Right. And I don't think it, they understood, maybe they did, but didn't quite understand that it was from the dragons made of stone. That, I mean, yeah. it was a hundred years ago. I'm sure nobody truly remembers, Over especially if, years ago. yeah, it was probably a half a century ago yeah. or something so at least. If most of their peoples were wiped out by forging, I'm sure they have very little knowledge of what truly happened. Mm-hmm. And so for all they know. It was just a bunch of men on chips forging people like they do. Yeah. But it is odd to take revenge 500 years later. It feels a little late. I mean, it's it's one man True. who wants more power and the pale woman's True. agenda. So they're just really they can say they can yeah. say it's revenge, but it's just that's fair. You know, it's just a power agenda, basically. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't know. And so Fitz and Shade reflect on this, that what if they do just want, you know, these towns to raid and these villages and things like that. Fitz says that nothing will stop them except destroying them. And Shade says, yeah, follow that thought. We don't have enough ships to even slow them down. I considered a moment. We had best all hope the myths about the elderlings are true, because it seems to me they, or something like them, is our only hope. Shade nodded slowly. Exactly. So you see why I approve of Verity's course. Because it's our only hope of survival. When I finally returned to my bed that night, I was assailed by nightmares of Verity, attacked and battling for his life, while I stood by and watched. I could not kill any of his attackers, for my king had not said I could. Is this a skill dream? Yes. I'm almost 100% sure this is when he is attacked and when Beric is sent back injured to tell of what has happened. Right. And Verity goes on alone. Or with, what, one other person and that person dies on the way or something? Yeah, I don't really I don't, remember. I guess we'll figure out when Beric comes back. But <laughs> yeah, this is, when, this is when Verity is attacked. And after this, he doesn't really have much of a sense of Verity in his head anymore. He tries right. to contact him later in the chapter, and he doesn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of ascribes that to his waxing and waning skill ability. Right. Which, to be fair, he has tried to contact Verity without success before. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that he would think this. But yeah, as somebody who's already read it, I'm like, no, Fitz. <laughs> Not much he can do no. at this point. But no. yeah, Not at all. Well, we get into the second half of this chapter. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty large one. And the first thing that happens in this is that the Duke of Burns arrives with two of his daughters. The older one is staying back in Burns to run things. 
and two of the younger daughters are here with him. And this is what they were talking about last chapter. Mm-hmm. Duke would arrive himself asking for answers, demanding answers about what had happened and why there was no response and looking for the defense of his Duke, his, right. his uh, duchy, excuse me. And it also makes a point to say that he arrives with a group that is big enough to be formidable, but not something that could be mistaken as an attack. Correct. They're not coming to start a war, but they are showing their power. Mm-hmm. And when they arrive, they're, of course, since there's disagreements between the guardsmen up in Burns and the guardsmen in Buck are upset and embarrassed they weren't even notified of this until it happened there's arguments that spark about other things and tensions rise and there's fist fights and it just shows that the discipline and everything that's going on in buck has really deteriorated the um, basically the, the discipline of the of everything that's going on yeah It shamed our soldiers that there was little they could say to defend what King Shrewd had apparently done. And when a soldier cannot defend what his leader has done, he must either agree with the criticism or find another area in which to disagree. So there were fistfights between Burns men and Buckkeep troops. Isolated incidents, for the most part, over trivial differences. Yeah, it's it's definitely a rise in tensions. And... Fitz is, I I mean, I'm taking it at face value, obviously, because he's saying it, but he's right that they're embarrassed that they can't do anything or couldn't do anything and they have to defend their king somehow. And I can see why both parties would be on edge. But I did want to ask a quick question that popped into my mind while reading this part. Do you think Regal is letting Burns be attacked as punishment specifically because the Duke of Burns wants to marry his daughter to Fitz? Or do you think it's just happy accident? I think it's just happy accident. I don't think that's... They're they're one of the most remote duchies, and if they can separate them off, and one of the most warlike duchies, as Fitz remarks. So right. if, if they can separate them off from the main kingdom and say, like, no, we it's just too far away, with easy excuses, if not good ones Mm -hmm. because we don't have enough money they're too far away like it's barren coastline except for one city they can defend their own if they're such warriors kind of thing right it's an easy separation for regal to start with okay interesting i just was wondering if maybe there was a little bit more about just because i was thinking hmm this is the one that (laughs) with with his like testing of things i think he thinks fitz is in hand and he can deal with anything fitz does and he's not out to start like interduchy war just to get at fits in some way right well no i'm not saying that just he's too far beneath him i think i guess i just was wondering if he's like fits doesn't deserve to be married to a <laughs> duchess i guess i don't know what she would be because she's like second or third in line so i don't think she still would be a duchess but right lady. still a lady yeah lady celerity Speaking of, Fitz sees her a couple times, but avoids her during the day, and then dresses very nicely for the evening dinner because he's afraid that she's going to be his table partner. But Mm -hmm. Regal makes sure that he's sitting at a far low table, surrounded by young ladies uh, who distract him and flirt with him, and it's an uncomfortable situation for, for Fitz because he's trying to pay attention to the high table, but he can't 
because he's not trying to offend anybody either. Right. <laughs> he locks eyes with Celerity a few times as well and makes sure not to be rude because Regal is being incredibly rude on the high table. Yes. Shrewd is down there uh, and he's looking tired rather than kind of out of it and Fitz deems that as a victory. Mm-hmm. Ketrikin is very silent and pretty embarrassed for the way that Regal is acting because he's all but ignoring Duke Brondy and just talking with Duke Ram, who's there to buy the horses right. and getting drunker and, and more loud and raucous. And it's kind of a party atmosphere. And it's so celebratory that it's insulting, but not a straight up insult to Duke of Burns, who just got raided by three red ships. Right. Yeah. Cause why are they celebrating when right. we need, they supposedly have no money and yet here they are having a great old time it does specifically say that the table is filled with the pets of regal which i found really funny yeah but i also wanted to make a note that while he's watching the head table he notes that faith and celerity i have this highlighted too yeah. <laughs> uh the quick way they turn their heads to observe everyone at the table reminded me of hawks on a wrist yep and we're pretty sure that they're witted um mm-hmm. from future chapters and scenes and aren't there animals birds i think so i'm not positive but i highlighted that as well because i think so yeah i was thinking i couldn't remember if it was celerity specifically but i had an image of in the cave where she's fighting she had like a hawk that she so maybe Fitz and Slarity wouldn't be good matches because Fitz hates birds. That's true. He is not a bird person. <laughs> <laughs> and the birds don't like him either. He's too open. That's true. Which is really funny to think that would be like the main difference between them is like. Yeah, but I mean, Holly was a bird person and Black Rolf was a bear person. So. But bears are different than dogs. Yeah. I mean, they're cute and fluffy like dogs, <laughs> but. I think they're more related to dogs than to birds. <laughs> I mean, true. Fair enough. <laughs> but Black, Black Rolf had no problem with birds. Maybe he thought they were cool. Yeah. And also he was disciplined and trained in the wit, so he probably wasn't super open. <laughs> right. Well, we get the end of dinner after King Shrewd excuses himself. Ketrikin escorts him off and takes that excuse to leave. Duke Burns and his daughter also leave as well, and so Fitz excuses himself and heads out. Goes back to his room and finds the fool there. I see dinner was absolutely fascinating for you, the fool observed. I sighed. I didn't ask how he had gotten in. No point to asking questions that would not be answered. (laughs) There was a peculiar stillness to him. No jingling of bells, no tumbling, mocking words. Dinner was insufferable, I told him. I did not bother with candles. My headache had not been entirely a fiction. I do not know what Buckkeep is coming to, nor what I can do about it. Perhaps what you have done already is enough, the fool ventured. I've done nothing noteworthy lately, I informed him, unless you count knowing when to stop talking back to Regal. Ah, that's a skill we're all learning, then, he agreed morosely. Have you no news, then, that you'd care to share with a fool? A very discreet fool? And they kind of go back and forth here a little bit, and Fitz makes him directly ask a question. 
Indeed, you are right there. Well, then, the question. Ah, I surprise myself. I blush. I do. Fitz chivalry. Have you made a fitz of your own? I sat up slowly on my bed and stared at him. He did not move or flinch. What did you ask of me? I demanded quietly. He spoke softly, almost apologetically now. I must know. Is Molly carrying your child? I sprang at him from the bed, caught him by the throat, and dragged him up to his feet. I drew back my fist and then stopped, shocked by what the firelight revealed on his face. Batter away, he suggested quietly. New bruises will not show much atop the old ones. I can creep about unseen for a few more days. I snatched my hand back from him. Strange how the act I had been about to commit now seemed so monstrous when I discovered someone else had already done it. Fool got beat up. Yeah. Pretty bad, too, it yeah. seems. Just on his face, too. Mm -hmm. He remarks later that they put a hood over his head and made sure just to strike on his face. Which is really interesting because you've gone through all the trouble to put a hood over someone's head to beat them up and you're only aiming for the face, which is the most showable place of all. I don't know. Maybe it's because they don't want to maim him or they're scared to touch him other places. I don't know. Also, they didn't want him seeing them. Right. But that doesn't mean that they only had to aim for the face. I think it's just such a weird choice to yeah. decide to beat somebody up, but only aim for the head. I also think it's a message, too, because he says that they're accusing him of spying for Verity, and that's why they beat him up. So Fair. if it's a message to whoever is taking the messages or something, you know, like. Right. Also, he does say that he has to slink about unseen for a few days. And that, I mean, maybe their goal was to get the fool out of, Shrewd's you know. room or yeah. something. And so Fitz immediately goes into mother hen mode and starts building up the fire, gathering some herbs and wishes for Beerick's healing herbs, like his full kit. But what he has there will do for now. And he asks about it, basically, and... And the fool says, I've been going about Buckkeep asking bad-tempered individuals if they fathered bastards lately. His one good eye met my glare straight on. Red webbed the white of it. I found I could neither be angry with him nor laugh. Yeah. I find this whole interact interaction really interesting because Fitz clearly cares about the fool in some way. Some friendship level is here. He's taking care of the fool. He's answering the fool's questions. He's thinking seriously about the, what the fool said. He was about to hit him, but you can still get angry at friends. Yeah. You can get more angry at friends. True. Also, I think he was shocked that the fool knew Molly's name. I think he, I mean, he spoke Molly's name from the king's lips to the fool before. Right, but the fool didn't know that was Fitz. Yeah, true. But also when all of a sudden your catalyst is around someone who you also hang out like with Lady Patience and they're made as Molly and I don't know. I think I think it'd be pretty easy for him to put it together. Sure. Regal but found out right away. I'm sure the fool found out right away. But 
Fitz doesn't know that he's being so obvious. And so it would be a shock. Yeah. I'm sure that's, I think that's why he reacted so poorly because he was scared that Molly had been found out. People know they've been sleeping together, which of course they know. But anyway, the thing I find most interesting is I'm not so sure fool sees Fitz as a friend here. He did come to Fitz. I don't think he came with the intention to get help. No. He was going to leave in the dark. Yep. He wanted to know if the new catalyst or the new sense of millions of possibilities was Fitz's doing or not. But that seems to be all he wants. He's hesitant to get help from Fitz in helping make his face better. (laughs) And I just think... Throughout this whole conversation, there's such a weird air, I guess, in the room that feels, when I was reading it in depth, feels like someone who thinks the person they're talking to is important, but not in the same way as the other person thinks. It feels like it's a one-sided friendship at this point. Yeah, and that's what I, like, that's what we had that conversation about before Mm -hmm. as well, and I think it, it is still holding true, and I think this helps Right. Fitz's uh, reaction to what happened and and his want to help. But the fool is definitely still kind of warming up to him. Yeah. I'm sure we don't get too much inside of the fool's head in these early books, which is unfortunate, but it keeps him as a mysterious character. But I'm sure that the fool is kind of lying to himself, the depth of feeling at the moment of what he feels for Fitz. Yeah. And wants to keep it like a professional or distant or like i don't actually know what to think of you i have to use you i don't Mm want to get close to you kind of thing right you could die at any second yeah so i i feel like with the depth of feeling that the fool has for him in the third book upcoming Mm -hmm. that feeling has to have started but he's hiding it from himself kind of right and just keeps that distance interesting thought i also wonder If the reason the fool is so adamant that there is a child, it's either Verity's or Fitz's, and it's causing a lot of new paths. If he's so, like, he came in this moment, even though he was beat up, because there's a chance he doesn't have to make Fitz die. Even if you're not, like, super good friends with someone, you can still not want their death. Because he thinks that's the only way for the path that he wants to happen right Fitz has to die or at least come very close to death he has to be tortured and punished and do something close to death and he probably feels guilty and thinks oh now we have a chance a new path to potentially go down Mm -hmm. why do you ask such a question of me I finally demanded because it is easier to ask of you than to ask Ketcherkin if she carries Verity's child As far as I can determine, Regal has shared his favors only with himself of late, so that dismisses him. You or Verity, then, must be the father. Cannot you feel it? he asked in a near whisper. He stared off in the distance dramatically. Forces shift. Shadows flutter. Suddenly there is a rippling in the possibilities, a reordering of the futures as destinies multiply. All paths diverge and diverge again. He looked back to me. I smiled at him, thinking he jested, but his mouth was sober. There is an heir to the farseer line, he said quietly. I am certain of it. 
I have fathered no child. I said far too firmly. The fool regarded me with a skeptical eye. Ah, he said with false heartiness, of course not. Then it must be Ketrikin who is carrying. It must. I agreed, but my heart sank. If Ketrikin were pregnant, she would have no reason to conceal it, whereas Molly would. And I had not been to see Molly in several nights. Perhaps she had news for me. And that kind of backs up a little bit of what you were saying as well. With more possibilities in front of you, like he, he's feeling optimistic again. Mm-hmm. There's that hopeful sense to that whole speech that the fool has. I know we get later conversations between the Fitz and the fool about what the fool is seeing and how the future is closing up before him. I think mainly in Tawny Man when he's right. talking about his own death. Yes. And I feel like that might be happening here as well, where all of the paths are kind of converging into one, two, or three different ways to go, and they're all kind of bleak. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, something has happened to reopen a bunch of possibilities. And the fool is ecstatic about it because the hope for the future is not lost. Right. He can continue to make these changes. He is not finished. He has not failed his task. So I feel like that's that's mainly where he's coming from with this. Like he needs to know which of these half of these paths that just opened up mm-hmm. are the ones that he has to follow ma- mostly. Yeah. So he wants that leg up kind of. Yeah. Just like I just need more information. Is it you or Ketrikin? I have 50/50 chance here. <laughs> I wonder if the paths opening up are from Ketrikin's child. Because we know they close later, and we know that Ketrikin loses her child. Yeah. But B is still around. Or not B, sorry. Nettle. Is still born later. But there is no mention of those paths. I think it's more like a Venn diagram of stuff. Like, mostly this one, mostly this one. But that little tiny sliver in the middle that fools like that's not going to happen is the one that happens, of course. Yeah. And I guess it could be a Neville Longbottom versus Harry Potter situation of <laughs> it could be either, but right. it just depends on the actions. And maybe the choices are taken away when Molly moves away and True. gets married to Burek and raises a child in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But, but uh, Ketrikin miscarrying happens before that. That's true. But still, we don't hear any more about the path being able to be right. diverged. So they talk a little bit more about what has happened to the fool and what happened during this beating. And again, Fitz asks, you know, who, who did this? Who put a bag over your head? And, and the fool says, I'll, I'll cut you a little hole in the bag. They said, we know you are the false. We know you are false to the king that you spy for Verity, the pretender. Send him no more messages, for if you do, we shall know of it. Verity, the pretender? I asked in outrage. Not my words. Theirs, he pointed out. I forced my anger down, tried to think. Why would they suspect you spy for Verity? Have you sent him messages? I have a king, he said softly, although he does not always remember he is my king. You must look out for your king, as I am sure you do. What will you do? What I have always done. What else can I do? I cannot stop doing what they commanded me to stop, for I have never begun it. And if they act again, he gave a lifeless laugh. There is no point to my worrying about it, for I cannot prevent it. That is not to say I look forward to it. This, he said with a half-gesture toward his face, this will heal. What they did to my room will not. I shall be weeks picking up that mess. 
the words trivialized it. A terrible, hollow feeling welled up in me. They were most thorough, silly me, to think there was such a thing as a safe place in this world. I could not look at him. Save for his tongue, he was a defenseless person whose only drive was to serve his king and save the world. Yet someone had smashed his world. Worse, I suspected the beating he had taken was in revenge for something I had done. Fitz offers to help fix the room, which Fool immediately says no, and then says no offense, which Fitz says an untaken. There's an understanding. Yeah, Yeah. but he still had the compassion to put forward. Mm -hmm. If you want help, I'm here. And Fool begins to leave. Mm -hmm. He asks that Fitz tells him when he knows for sure. And Fitz says he will. Yeah. And then says, after all, this is what they do to a king's fool. What might they do to a woman carrying a king in waiting's heir? They wouldn't dare, I said fiercely. Wouldn't they? I no longer know what they would would or would not dare, Fitz Chivalry. Neither do you. I'd find a sounder way to latch my door if I were you. Unless you wish to find your head in the bag as well. And, I mean, that's yeah. what ends up happening. They go after Ketrikin's kid. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that there is a group of people who calls Verity the Pretender King. I don't know why this would come about because... Regal! Well, <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> but he is still shrewd son. Yeah. It's not like he's a bastard like Fitz. I, I'm guessing it comes from what Regal's mom has always preached, that... She was more royal than Queen Constance, and therefore Regal was more royal than any of the two brothers. I suppose. And so they were pretenders to the real Farseer heir because she had more Farseer blood in her. I suppose. I'm, I, that's my personal thought, yeah. is that her spreading weird that way, yeah, and weird way of thinking. propagating that you know, sentiment has bled into the whole environment that they surround themselves with and right. just, like, seeped into everyone they they indoctrinate into their little cult. <laughs> Fair. And earlier this chapter, we had Regal call Constance a common woman. Yeah. Which she was is a, not true. She, she was a duchess. Like. Yeah, <laughs> she was the same level as his mother was. Mm-hmm. I don't know odd yeah very odd to me and so here's where fitz is kind of reaching out to verity he talks aloud like if i were you i would come home right now and stop worrying about the elderlings there's more at home than just the raiders that you need to take care of and he gets no response he doesn't feel anything and he kind of sits and reflects a little bit but then he goes to molly later that night Mm -hmm. and partially well, mainly the catalyst for this is Fool's comments and that he needs to know, like, you know, we need to have a conversation. Like, are you pregnant? Like, uh-huh. what's going on? Well, he only just started thinking about the consequence of his actions. Right, yeah. And like so a this chapter ago? <laughs> like the next day. Actually, maybe the next night. <laughs> yeah, where he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so he's, she taps on the door. Molly asks through the wood, who is it? 
It's me, I replied incredulously. She had never asked before. Oh, she replied and opened the door. I slipped inside and bolted it behind me as she crossed to the hearth. She knelt before it, adding wood it didn't need and not looking at me. She was dressed in her blue servant's dress, and her hair was still bundled up. Every line of her body warned me. I was in trouble again. I'm sorry I haven't been here much lately. So am I, Molly said shortly. She wasn't leaving me much in the way of openings. A lot has been going on, and they've been keeping me pretty busy. With what? I already knew where this conversation was going. With things I can't talk to you about. Of course. For all the calmness and coolness in her voice, I knew her fury was raging just beneath the surface. The slightest word, wrong word, would set it off. So would not say anything. So my question might as well be tackled head on. Molly, the reason I came tonight... Oh, I knew there had to be some special reason for you to dro finally drop by. The only thing that really surprises me is myself. Why am I here? Why do I come straight to my room after my duties each day and wait on the off chance that you might show up? There are other things I could be doing. There are minstrels and puppet shows aplenty lately. Prince Regal sees to that. I could be one of the lesser hearths with the other servants enjoying their company instead of up here alone. Or I could be getting some work done. Cook lets me use the kitchen when it's not busy, a busy time. I have wicking and herbs and tallow. I should be using them while the herbs still have their full potency. But no, I am up here on the off chance that you'll remember me and want to spend a few moments with me. Womp womp. Yeah. Yeah, Fitz. That's true. Literally. She, like, he doesn't think of what she is sacrificing to meet clandestinely as well. Because right. Fitz is, you know, in his head about how taxing it is for keeping secrets from Verity, keeping his feelings and connection with Verity from Molly, separating night eyes from all of them, mm -hmm. sneaking around at night, worrying about the king and stuff. But she is literally just waiting for him to come sometimes. Yeah. So that she can be there when he does. Because it's all in Fitz's schedule. And yeah. he doesn't think about the fact that he never tells her when to expect him or the fact that the reason she's there is because she has to be waiting to see if he'll come. And it's sad because it's pretty disrespectful of yeah. her time and her life, but also sad because she keeps doing it. Mm -hmm. And girl, love yourself better. <laughs> like, don't put up with that. But also Fitz isn't giving her anything. He says, I can't tell you what I'm busy with. He could say there's, I'm having family troubles. My, we're really arguing about things right now. He doesn't have to go into depth, but he could give her something. Instead, he yeah. keeps it all separate because he doesn't want that to bleed in to his safe space. But in doing so, he's building a wall between himself and Molly. And it's not good. And I get it. I get that she shouldn't be burdened with the things that are going on because that's not fair. But I don't think that's why he's doing it. It's not for her sake. It's because mm -hmm. he wants a safe space. And that leaves just one thing for them to do. <laughs> Which is sad because clearly she wants to know him more and wants a more in-depth relationship. I think he does too. It's just he wants it apart from the court. <laughs> yeah. When she spoke again, the anger had faded from her voice to be replaced with something worse. Misery and discouragement. Fitz, it's just so hard. Every time I think I've accepted it, I turn a corner and catch myself hoping again. But there's never going to be anything for us, is there? Never going to be a time that belongs just to us? Never going to be a place that is just ours? 
and that too right there is what in my head like she wants to she she and Fitz do want the same thing right but she is willing to throw her life away to run away with Fitz and Fitz is like I have responsibilities here mm-hmm. and it gets brought up later and we'll talk more about it then but it is the the Burek situation yes it's putting your duties in front of your love and your personal life she says I've seen celerity she's beautiful I even made an excuse to speak to her I asked if they needed more candles for their rooms. She spoke back, shyly, but courteously. She even thanked me for being concerned, as few here thanks the servants. She's... she's nice. A lady. Oh, they'll never give you permission to marry me. Why would you even want to marry a servant? You are not a servant to me, I said quietly. I never think of you that way. Then what am I? I am not a wife, she pointed out quietly. In my heart you are, I said miserably. It was a pitiful comfort to offer her. It shamed me that she accepted it and came to rest her forehead on my shoulder. They do love each other. Yeah, they do. It's not a healthy love. This isn't a good example of a healthy relationship. But... I, okay, so I think it's a healthy love. It's not a healthy communication or way of showing it. Right. That's a good point. But I think neither of these people probably had very good examples of what a healthy relationship is. <laughs> right. So it's probably pretty hard to see the problem or where it's stemming from or mm-hmm. how to fix it if you have zero examples in your real life of what a healthy relationship truly is. Right. Just talk. Talk it out. Yeah, you have to have communication. And they don't understand. In some ways, Molly does. But I don't think she understands fully. Yeah, she she is more open than Fitz. I've, I've gathered from these conversations. Right. But she does get very defensive about certain things. Yes. Which, I mean, Fitz does too. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that she's more to blame because Fitz is definitely more closed off emotionally. Uh-huh. But they're both not great at communicating. Right. And they don't have a healthy way of talking about things when they get hard. They don't have a good, like, arguing system. I don't know how to phrase that well. But they don't have a healthy way of having arguments. Because I think arguments can be healthy. Yeah. In moderation. There's always going to be disagreements about things. And and you just have, it's the way you react to them. Exactly. how you process them. And it's just so sad because... There is love there. They're just too immature to really do well. And it's not fully their faults. It is a little bit of their upbringing. And like I said earlier, the lack of good examples (laughs) to look to. But it is also a little bit of their age, I think. At this age, everything's the end of the world. And feelings are a lot more intense because of puberty and hormones but also just in general you haven't had a lot to compare what you're feeling to and so it feels so much stronger and it feels so much more Mm -hmm. like life or death because you don't have enough experience in life to say okay this is a valid feeling but I also know it's not gonna kill me to not know this information or you know yeah I don't know it just Little things like this in the reading 
I'm like, I just love them as a couple because they're young and both come from such horrible backgrounds and could very much so give each other the love that they both need. But not at this stage. Yeah. It's just unhealthy at this point. After a a quiet time, Fitz gets around to asking his question that he came there for and says, are you with child? What? She pulled back from me to look up into my face. Are you carrying my child? I... No, no, I'm not. A pause. What makes you ask such a thing all of a sudden? It just occurred to me to wonder. That's all. I mean... I know what you mean. If we were married and I weren't pregnant by now, the neighbors would be shaking their heads over us. Really? Such a thing had never occurred to me before. I knew that some folk wondered if Ketrikin were barren as she had not conceived in over a year of marriage but a concern over her childlessness was a public issue. I had never thought of neighbors watching newlyweds expectantly. And Molly goes on like, oh yeah, neighbors would be offering, you know, this sort of tea or this, you know, whatever. Powder to put in your drinks. Yeah, yeah. a bunch of stuff. And, And she says, she goes on to say, you know, as it is, there are other herbs I take to be sure that I do not conceive. I had all but forgotten patients scolding me that day. Some herbs like that I've heard can make a woman ill if she takes them for long. I know what I'm doing, she said flatly. Besides, what is the alternative, she added with less heart. Disaster, I conceded. And I just want to make a quick side here and say that I'm not a woman. I will never experience the like, (laughs) hey, when are we expecting, you know, kids or like little Uh ones running around. But I've... I have family members who have been recently married, and I even heard those comments as, like, a younger cousin of some of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be so annoying. Yeah. Just like, hey, you know, when am I getting grandkids? When am I getting little little ones running around the house? When are we, you know, going to see these kids? I love baby clothes. Like, here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As a woman, I have heard these comments, even as an unmarried woman. Um. <laughs> And it is annoying. (laughs) But yeah, it's sad because clearly this is something that Molly wants. She has talked about wanting a big family, Mm -hmm. but something she can't have right now. And it's smart of her to take precautions because she's right. It wouldn't be good to have a child right now. Oh, definitely not. Clearly those aren't as effective as they should have been. But also a little sad that Fitz didn't think about <laughs> until like recently yeah when like, patience points out uh-huh. <laughs> but also funny to point out that Fitz didn't even realize that regular women that aren't catcher can also have to deal with the scrutiny of yeah when is a baby coming because he thought the reason people were worried is because it's the next heir in question not because it's just somebody's love life i don't know i don't know why people care so much to be honest (laughs) but it is a weird thing that yeah everybody's uh, concerned about keep your business to yourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and so they get into the conversation about what would happen if i if molly was pregnant and she asked him what he would do and he basically says i would you know, pull some strings, I would ask favors in his head. He's like, Faraday or Beric would help me out with this. 
unfortunately I'd have to talk to him about it first, but they would help <laughs> me out. Uh, I'd find a place safe for you where I could put you and, and the babe so you're away from everything like this. And eventually I would come and join you. She's asking, oh, so you're going to set us aside? And he's like, no, I just, I just want to keep you safe so I could come to you and to our child eventually. And put you in a place where nobody could shame or mock you. Which is a fair thing, but Molly's right. He's trying to put her aside. It reminds me of the conversation he had with Chade earlier, because he's, Fitz says, you're splitting hairs over this, over his decision to not answer his questions about what he was doing to the king. Uh-huh. And Chade replies something like, I might be, but those are my hairs to split. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> here, here's Fitz splitting it's, his it's, own hairs. It's his line right there that he's, he's not going to cross. He's like, I'm not putting you aside. I'm keeping you safe until I can get to you safely, you know? But also never saying that he would stay with her full time. Right. He would work elsewhere, but she could live alone in the countryside, which is also so horrible because he knows she wants to be a candle maker. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put you aside somewhere all alone while I go off and live my life. Well, he said just away from Buckkeep. She could be in a village. Maybe. I don't know. I just don't like it. <laughs> but then he says, well, Molly says, have you ever considered that you could run away too with us? Like we could all go together if I had a child. And Fitz says, I can't leave Buckkeep. I've explained that to you every way I know how. And they kind of go back and forth here. Like, I, I know you have. I haven't. I still don't understand why. Well, her point is Verity's gone. Nobody thinks he's coming back. Shrewd is dying. And if Regal hates you as much as you say, then why wouldn't you leave? Why are you staying and being faithful to the king when it is, as you put, not safe? Which is a good point. And I don't think Fitz ever really truly takes into consideration that he could just leave. It's harder than that, but it kind of isn't at the same time. It is harder, but at the same time, he was told when he was a kid, if he is out in the countryside, eventually someone will either come for him to recruit him to have treason against the kingdom, or he will die. Right. Someone will come and kill him. So move. Go to a different country. There are other countries. <laughs> it just... I don't think he's capable. Are they going to go to Chelsea? That's the only other country nearby, because the mountain kingdom is going to be... Six duchies soon. They know of Jampe and yeah. the other country. He could go there. I suppose. I don't know. You there think are... Molly would ever leave the six duchies? For sure. She's right now telling him to run away with her. Uh, yeah, think I don't that... know if she would leave the six duchies, though. Why? She doesn't know anybody. Yeah, I All know, of her family's dead. She just feels like someone who would want to stay in her home country. I suppose. I don't know. I think she'd be willing. Also, traveling the world with your the love of your life sounds amazing. <laughs> I guess not if you're fleeing from death threats. She but. doesn't want to travel. She wants to settle down and open up a candle shop. Yeah, but she can do that in a different country. <laughs> Bees might be different. <laughs> That's fair. No, I don't know. It's I just feel bad because I think this really drives home the point that as much as Fitz dreams of not having responsibility, he would never take that action on his own. And even when he has the chance to live 
out in the middle of nowhere doing nothing, he still comes back. He's never truly going to leave the Farseer line unprotected in his own way. To be fair, that's because it's Verity's kid slash his kid uh, <laughs> who's like children. in danger. So yes. I think I think that's if it wasn't that, I don't know if he would come back. Or the fool specifically saying, hey, you're coming with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Fair. I don't know. I I just think that he's one of those people who needs permission to do things. <laughs> and because he hasn't gotten that from someone in charge of him, he can't just run away. Yeah. Which is sad because I wish he could. I wish this was a love story about how he, how he runs away and tells Molly everything. But I guess there's also the fear there. She doesn't know everything about him. And if they do run away, what if she finds out and then changes her mind? And then what? Mm-hmm. But also, quick aside, Molly knows she's pregnant, right? I don't I don't know if she knows at this point or not. Interesting. I suppose... I, I don't know enough about biology if you know 20 days after... Well, you miss a period, but like... yeah. If it's at a certain time in her cycle, she wouldn't know for like for sure for a couple weeks potentially. Mm -hmm. And also periods can be weird. So maybe she's like not 100 percent sure yet. It just feels like the way she's questioning it is like, well, on the off chance. Like, what would you do? Uh That's what I was kind of thinking, too. But she also says very quickly, no, I'm not. So I and I feel like that wouldn't be something that she would conceal it could be i guess where they're at in the relationship and where they've been arguing and stuff but i just don't know also i don't know i guess if there's a way in this world it's never talked about i don't think but like to terminate a pregnancy so i suppose because my first thought was like well maybe she's just not going to keep the baby but I don't know that that's an option. So maybe she truly doesn't. She just wants to know what would happen. Yeah. Maybe she's worried about it, but right now it could still be that she's, yeah. it's just a weird month. It, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, could be. And so they go back and forth a little bit. Like I was uh, saying that you could run away and Fitz is like all the more reason if, you know, the, the king is failing and Verity's away and Regal's gathering power, all the more reason I need to stay and fight for our people. Molly's like, take that stubbornness and fight for us instead. And she mentions, you know, why don't we run away up the river and inland, away from the raiders to a life of our own? Why should we have to give up everything for a hopeless cause? I couldn't believe what I was hearing from her. If I had said it, it would have been treason. But she said it as if it were just the commonest sense. As if she and I and a child that didn't exist yet were more important than the king and the six duchies combined. I said as much. Well, she asked me, looking at me levelly, it's true. To me, if you were my husband and I had our child, that's how important it would be to me. More important than the whole rest of the world. And what was I to say to that? I reached for the truth, knowing it wouldn't satisfy her. You would be that important to me. You are that important to me. But it's also why I have to stay here, because something that important isn't something you run away and hide with. It's something that you stand and defend. And she goes into how we can't defend against this. And this is her own experiences. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Fitz kind of knows it too, but it it, it is her own experiences at the, the raid of, we can't stand against this, I try to defend, I barely escaped with my life. 
and we should just run and flee from this instead. And Fitz says, there's no running away, Molly. We either stand and fight here or are slaughtered when the fighting overtakes us. Really? She asked me coldly. It isn't just you're putting your loyalty to a king ahead of what we have. I could not meet her eyes. She snorted. You're just like Beric. You don't even know how much you're like him. They have a conversation here um, about what we have been saying before in our conversations about Beric and patience and all of that. Mm-hmm. How Fitz doesn't know any of this. No. He, he hasn't heard this full story. He puts the king before the woman or your love or your own mm-hmm. life. Right. And that's just like what Beric did. I do quick want to say it's interesting to see the differences in personalities at play here. Fitz thinks you have to fight. There's no other choice because if you don't fight, you give up and lose. And Molly thinks if you fight, you die. If you run away, you live. And I wonder if this is kind of showing from their upbringing. Molly was raised by an alcoholic mm-hmm. who beat her. Yeah. And he was much bigger than her for most of her life and a lot stronger for a little bit. And I'm sure whenever she tried to fight back, it ended even poor, more poorly for her. So she was probably beat into the knowledge at a young age. Don't fight. It is worse when you fight. Whereas Fitz has been fighting his whole life just to survive. He has to fight every moment of the day to be around and not be a liability and not be taken out because he knows his life is on the line if he even slips up a little bit. True. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And so I think that's where this disconnect is coming from and why they can't believe the other would believe something so stupid. Yeah. Because it's coming from their life experience, and it's really horrible that their trauma has made them so believe so strongly in their own ways. Because I think there are times when you run and sometimes when you fight, but I think they're both so ingrained in their own beliefs that they can't see it another way. Mm -hmm. And I do feel bad for them for that. Yeah, definitely. That's a good that's a good point. Molly starts telling the story of Beric and Patience, and I won't go into big details because we've talked about this before, but I'll just go over the base story, and if you want to add anything particularly of interest, you can after this. So, Beric met Patience while she was sitting in a tree. She asked him to take, you know, a thorn out of her foot or whatever like that. They fell in love, and ultimately, Beric said... You know, I I can't marry you. I'm already sworn to a lord. And, you know, if, if I wasn't already sworn, I would marry, I would be free to marry you. But I have already pledged my life and I, I can't go back on my word. And he said, <laughs> Molly says, he said something stupid to her about no matter how willing the horse, it can only wear one saddle. So she told him, well, go off, then go follow this lord. And so Fitz is putting all those connections in his head, and then he asks again, you know, did Chivalry know anything of this? Mm -hmm. Just to continue the story, she wasn't expecting that, because she's 
was just relating it to Fitz and was expecting a continuation of their conversation. So Molly, surprised, continues with the story and basically says, Patience didn't know chivalry was the Lord. And chivalry pursued Patience and eventually won her over. And Fitz is just sitting there like thinking on all the little interactions that he's had with Beric and the little comments and things like that. And he says, I suddenly remembered Beric in the stable looking at Patience's mount and saying, I trained that horse. I wondered if he'd trained Silk, knowing that she was going to go to a woman he'd loved as a gift from the man she'd marry. I bet it was so. Right, because the only reason Patience even knows about Beric being in the company of chivalry is because Beric is the one who delivers the horse. Yeah. As an engagement gift. Yeah, it's rough. Um, there's also the the comment that he says in here of, you know, looking nice because you don't know when a a woman is looking at you. How Beric recalled her lapdog, how she always carried it about in a basket, the care he always took with his own appearance and behavior. Just because you cannot see a woman does not mean she does not see you. Oh, Beric. The extra time he still took, grooming a horse that she seldom rode anymore. At least Patience had had a marriage to a man she loved, and some years of happiness, complicated as they were by political intrigues. But some years of happiness anyway. What would Molly and I ever have? Only what Beric had now? She leaned against me and I held her for a long time. That was all. But somehow in that melancholy holding that night, we were closer than we had been for a very long time. Patience hates Beric's drinking. He still remembers her dog fondly, still grooming mm-hmm. her, her horse. He still loves Patience. Right. Fitz can only basically comment miserably about the whole situation between Beric and Patience and himself, saying, you know, it's it's never fair. It's never ever simple and good. There's always, what do you say, a sour, a bitter peel, a sour pip somewhere. Right. And Molly agrees, and they just kind of hold each other. Well, it is really sad when you think about it. Beric never moved on. And yeah. that's kind of who Beric is. He probably didn't feel worthy of a lady, but also is so black and white about everything. He probably thought it would be blasphemous to pledge yourself to a lord and have a wife, which is so weird. Does that mean he never thought he would ever get married? Or he just thought whoever he married would have to be okay with getting less attention. And then when he actually fell in love, realized he can't give less attention to somebody he loves. Yeah, or maybe because he knew that she was a lady that he couldn't just say, like, hey, you're a you're a lord's footman's wife, you know? Yeah. Like, you'd actually have to enter a world that he wasn't ready for or something. I don't know. There could be a lot of reasons of being scared of that commitment, of right. being true to his promise already. I don't know. It's It is sad, though. Yeah, I feel really bad for Burek. But I think... It's good that there's this closeness here at the end. There's not really a reconciliation, but there's an understanding of closeness. Of life sucks. Yeah. And we kind of have to just deal with the fallout, unfortunately. (laughs) Right. And I think the reason they feel so close at the end that Fitz is like, this is the closest we've been in months. 
because they had a real conversation yeah. and they got <laughs> yeah. to know each other more. At least just their stances of where they're feeling. And they even had a conversation about what would happen if something unforeseen happened in the future. What, right. would, what would they do? Just planning together as a couple. Right. And I wish it was a better feeling. I wish we ended on a happier, lighter note. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to go out on a limb and say I don't think Fitz was happy this week. <laughs> really? <laughs> it might oh. be a little bit of a stretch. Hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening this week. It's a little bit of a downer of a chapter because, I mean, a lot of bad things happen in here. Yeah. yeah. We're... In the part of the book where the plot is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, the, the real bad stuff. We're finally working up to what's actually going to spur on the action, the climax of the yeah. series, of this trilogy. And so it's really hard because it's a lot of messing up of people's lives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fool gets beaten. Uh, Shrewd has his mind taken from him, like, kind of willingly. But also the kingdom's being stolen underfoot. Shade doesn't really have answers and can only do, like, as best he can. Right. Molly and Fitz are only doing the best they can and don't really have hope for the future. <laughs> Verity is attacked, and he doesn't really know it yet, but that happens. Like, it's just bad thing after bad thing. Yeah. These chapters really get me all riled up because I get so frustrated I wish the characters of this book would just read the book, you know, yeah. <laughs> so they could make a little bit smarter of decisions. But fortunately, we can't have that. So we have to reread it for them. Yes. <laughs> and mock their horrible choices. Exactly. So if you have anything to comment to the characters directly, please let us know. Is Fitz happy at gmail.com or message us on any social media that we might have. It is Fitz happy is our handle on all of them. Okay, so this week I'm going to get into a couple really good comments we got from our listeners. I'm going to start with Irene's comments that she sent us because I talked a little bit about it at the very beginning of this podcast. But to start, Irene disagreed with us, which I love when people do. I like hearing other people's opinions. But they said... They don't think Verity is acting selfishly by choosing to go personally to search for the elderlings. He always wanted a simple life with his maps and maybe a quiet, supportive wife. And I think he deluded himself by thinking that after having solved the Red Ship crisis, he might have had the quiet, peaceful life of his dreams. But at this point, I think he understood that he was to give up on his dreams. He won't be allowed to age in peace because even if the raiders magically disappear, the prolonged use of the skill has affected him and he fights daily the desire to just let go into the skill. So I read this chapter with quite different interpretation in mind. I read of the man that finally understood that he really has to sacrifice everything because either he sacrifices his life or he'll die anyway. And with all his people, he's intentionally giving up his future, his dreams and his wife and he has just learned how to love. And but they do agree with us that Robin Hobb is so heartbreaking in her writing. <laughs> <laughs> there is also an add-on to this thought about how this past chapter, which is 
oh, I guess this is a couple chapters ago. So this is particularly about chapter 18 of Royal Assassin two episodes ago. But this specific chapter made Irene remember why they hate Fitz and Molly together, because it's not really a relationship between them. It's just sex. They can't talk because they just end up arguing and they don't know anything about each other's lives. What kind of relationship is that? (laughs) And they do clarify that they have no problem with people just wanting to have fun, but this isn't what this is. This is people who want to marry each other. They're not, this isn't a friends with benefits situation. (laughs) And they're not at this point, like seeking a deeper connection. Right. Basically. But they still want to get married for mm-hmm. some reason, which is also valid. It's. Be- I think that addressing that last part first, they have had a deeper connection and relationship before. Right. The last, you know, summer has really sparked like a divide in them. And I don't mm-hmm. think they're willing to let that go and see that there is kind of a trench that's widening and they can only they they need to talk to each other to bridge that gap yes but it's not happening and then with the celerity marriage looming in the future it's just not looking good and it just drives a wedge further in them and they're just doing the things that they're used to doing when they had a connection except now there's nothing binding them together there's no emotional depth there anymore yeah they're not working through any issues i don't know it's weird and i yeah i think you're right that when he was new boy even they had conversations. It was still lying a little bit on Fitz's part because he wasn't being honest with who he is and he didn't say all the details of his day to day, but they were still talking about what each other did day to day. And maybe a little bit of the disconnect is because now what Molly does all day is be a servant to the castle. And maybe there's a little bit of like discomfort there or Maybe I don't embarrassment. We know Molly doesn't like being a servant. I yeah. mean, I don't think anybody would. And so it'd probably be harder to talk about your day to day when your day to day is making beds and cleaning chamber pots. True. And Fitz's day to day is running around on adventures and he doesn't want to talk about any of that. So what adventures? Molly doesn't know anything about adventures. Well, <laughs> she knows he was on the ships. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but. That's about it. I suppose, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> she doesn't know much more than that. <laughs> that's true. What does he do all day? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's so I think it's definitely a more recent loss of communication, but it definitely has, in my mind, turned into an unhealthy, one-sided friends with benefits <laughs> situation Yeah, that neither of them really wants it to be. Um, and then to touch on the Verity point... It is a really good point to bring up that Verity did have dreams of being a regular person, kind of like Fitz in a way. Somewhat, but I think a little bit more lofty than Fitz. Fitz is fine just being in like by himself in a village somewhere right? with a wife or whatever. I think Verity still wanted to be prince, but just like second. Right. right. (laughs) He didn't want to be in charge. Staying in the court. Right. Um, it is interesting, an interesting perspective to think of him giving up that future as his sacrifice and something I didn't really think about the perspective of before. Yeah. And so I thought it was a really interesting thing to bring up that he is making sacrifices in this. It is kind of a macho thing to be like, oh, I'm a warrior now. But 
also true that he is going to die either way. In one way, he'll die in a somewhat helpful way, and the other potentially could actually save more people's lives and let them know that he is the one doing it. Yeah, I I still think I'm somewhat in between your original thoughts that he was being super selfish Mm -hmm. for this decision and Irene's, that it is selfish of him to choose to do this and Mm -hmm. not, you know, somebody else. But also, he is, you know, taking kind of... The easy way out? No. Oh, okay. Not at all. He's taking taking a road where it's challenging to give up all of the things that he's giving up Mm. and his chance. But, again, like I said, it is selfish that he's seeing this quest and being like, oh, I can physically affect things rather than using this underhanded thing I have been using. So I think it's a little bit of both still. I I'm, I just fall somewhere in between the two. Yeah. I think I still think it's selfish. I appreciate the more information and a different viewpoint um, and don't necessarily think either of us are wrong. <laughs> Irene or I or you even. Uh, Luke, why Ooh, did I almost you. just call you Fitz? Uh- <laughs> mm, thank you for the afterthought. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think... It's just part of reading books is that everybody gets to make their own decision. But I do really enjoy the thought process behind how he isn't seen. This could be seen in a way where he's not being selfish. I really like that perspective. But I still don't want to give Verity that credit. (laughs) That's a personal problem. (laughs) Verity's one of my favorite characters. Don't diss him. He's okay. He's more immature than I remember him being. In my first read through, so. Who are your favorite characters now in your like read through? Mm, that's so hard because you've like turned on all of them. I know. <laughs> my first read read through was so nice. I liked all these characters. I had so much love in in my heart for Molly and Fitz, and now I'm like, they're all horrible. <laughs> but they're I don't know. Real. Night eyes. They're nice. very real people. There's more faucets to their personalities than just 2d characters mm-hmm. i guess yeah. um i i love night Eyes still um he has had no development because <laughs> he has no effect whatsoever on the plot and can't help at the moment yes right i don't know i guess i also still really like the fool i'm more frustrated with him but i think that's more of just him being young and scared to mess up everything Which I don't blame him. So our second comment here and message was from last week's episode. Yes. And it was in response to the question in the description of that episode post. It was, why do you think people overlook regal spending to place blame on Verity for the low funds? And... A lovely user Skeet McKeet here says that Regal has more social influence than Verity. It didn't help that he never came out of his man cave, so it'd be easy to pin blame on someone they can they never saw actively do anything. Which is a great point. That is mm-hmm. that is basically what happens, and I I completely agree with that. Regal just had more visibility, he had more social activity where he was able to spread more rumors, be more in the public eye, and just kind of like 
I'm the good one. The right. one who's always available and here for the people, not the one who is locked away. Right. And I think the more that I've thought on it, the more I understand that there are some people out there who will just believe whatever they're told by somebody that they like generally, regardless of the truth behind it. And that's pretty realistic. Yeah. <laughs> so... Giving it more thought, I understand. It's just one of those things that's frustrating when we know all the details and we know what's going on behind the scenes and being like, how could he be so stupid? <laughs> and there are signs. I'm sure there are signs that he's not as wholesome as some people seem to think he is. But also, I do love the fact that Skeet McGee called Verity's Tower his man cave. Now I'm just picturing it all decked out with like car posters or something. Well, I guess also, it would be cars, carts. He also had his uh, map. That's, oh, that's true. The that's map. That's what I'm group, assuming right. is the man cave. Because the tower, fair. remember, was maps. sparsely decorated. Yes, but also. Yes. So I think the map room was. <laughs> the maps were his car car posters. Right. I was just going to say they didn't have cars, so it'd have to be something else. So maps. <laughs> <laughs> that holds. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for reaching out. As always, it's been a pleasure to hear your guys' opinions and thoughts. And we look forward to hearing more of them in the future. 